an intro to a message series that we're beginning today uh, that just says looking like Jesus. What does it mean to look like Jesus? Uh, comes from a, a long time ago, there is a, in a place called Antioch, Acts tells us, that it was the first time that the name Christian was used. And at that point, it was not necessarily a uh, affirming title put upon people. In Antioch, it was a cross-cultural city. All kinds of groups of people had moved into Antioch. It was a crossroads of trade, and it was a big city. It was encased by the wall of protection like many of the ancient cities were. And inside the wall, they even had it sectioned off in that different types of people would live together in the same city, but somewhat separate from the other people. They did not assimilate together very well. It was just different groups. And then the message of Jesus hit that town. And there were people that heard about Jesus and what He did for them. They gave their life to Him. And they began, and this is out of the very, all of the different sections of that city, people began to give their life and follow Jesus. And they began to cross over the barriers and, they, and the city, the, the powers that would be, are the ones that gave them the name. They didn't know how to define them anymore. They didn't fit into the different cultural categories. They, over, they broke down walls, to, so to speak. And so the powers that be called them, they're just little Christ. They look like Jesus. We don't know how to define them. We don't know how to pigeonhole them into a, a certain culture. And so initially it was derogatory, but it wound up being quite an honor to take the name of Jesus Christ and to be his representation upon this earth. What a responsibility. We, get, we say that we're a Christian. What does that look like? And what do we have to deal with in, order, in our own life in order for that Christian or the Christ-likeness to come out of us where people would say, you know, they don't fit in that political party. They don't fit in that group of people. They don't fit in that racist segregation. They don't fit any of those things because they, they, they live like Jesus. You know what Jesus did? He just loved. He loved people. He just called them friend. And then he calls us brothers and sisters later when he gave his life for us. How, how we break through that. We need to defeat a pretty big enemy in our life if we're going to be this Christ-like one. It's an enemy that everyone in this room deals with. Some of you deal with it because it's out front and pretty powerful. Everybody knows it about you. Others, it's in you, but it's, it's managed maybe or hidden a bit more. But I promise you it's still there. There's a big enemy that causes us trouble when it comes to being truly known as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a little hint. I want, to, I want you to listen to some words that Jesus made. And I want you to listen for a theme. I want you to talk back to me what you hear about Jesus here. And I'm reading out of the Gospel of John, just some different passages. And Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. My judgment is just because I seek not mine own will. And then in uh, John 
5, 41, I receive not glory from men. John 6, 38, I come not to do mine own will. John 7, 16, my teaching is not mine. And then John 8, 42, I have not come of myself, but of he who sent me. And the last one, John 8, I seek not my own glory. What do you, characteristic do you see in that? What do you, talk to me. What do you, what? Selflessness. Okay, what else do you see? Humble. I'm going to pick that word. One of the characteristics of Jesus Christ on planet earth. Now think about it. He's the son of God. Actually, he was the creative word that made everything come into existence. Since when God spoke the word, and we know later, John says this, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus, through him, when God spoke, everything came into creation. This is the man we're talking about, Jesus. And he says, when I came here, I didn't do anything on my own. I was not seeking your glory. I was coming after what the Father was saying and doing. Jesus describes his journey from the throne room to here like this in Philippians. Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, Paul wrote it in Philippians. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The big enemy that I have to overcome, I won't preach to you, I'll just preach to me. The big enemy that I have to overcome is pride. It is our pride that wars against God. God does not say he hates a lot of things in Scripture. But he says, your pride I hate. And I wonder why that was, why was he so strong about that issue of our pride and how it works against what he wants to do in our own life. Pride in Proverbs 6, 16, haughty eyes, he says, are arrogant man's windows to the world. From the lofty perch of his own superiority, He uses them to look down on others from his self-made pedestal. He fancies he can see greater with greater clarity than his creator. Begin to understand a little bit why pride is such an enemy. Because we begin to, when that pride element in us raises us up above other people, thinking our perspective is the only one that should be listened to. Uh, What is pride? Let me give you three things here in your notes. Three things that pride is. Pride is an attitude of independence from God. Pride is an attitude of independence from God. Second thing, pride is a state of mind or essentially it's a condition of the heart in which a person supplants the rule of God over his life by his own will. Matter of fact, if you'll remember back to Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the temptation of Satan to to the first man and woman. He says, if you'll do this, you'll be like God. You'll be able to tell what is good and evil. In other words, it's saying yourself will be elevated to the position equal to or above God. So pride supplants God by our own will. 
And then the third thing, if you're taking the notes there, pride is the power. Listen to this. Pride is the power that turned Lucifer to Satan. Pride is the power that turned Lucifer into Satan. Remember, he, Lucifer was a, one of the archangels. He, was one of, he wasn't the worship leader. He was worship. His very creation, if you'll do the study back into his origination, that he was at that time and possibly forever has been the, one of the greatest, most beautiful creations of God, Lucifer. It, it wasn't that he was worship leader. I just think out of him came music. Out of him came creation. And in that process, he began to think, well, hey, I'm, as, I'm equal with God. I'm equal with the Creator. So pride is the power that led him to the position of the anti-God spirit. Because the pride and the power that turned Lucifer into the devil is the anti-God state of mind. Now we kind of know why God hates our pride. It wars against him. It wars against him. And like I said, some of us have it overt and everybody can see it. But we all have it, even if we've learned to keep it covered. We all wrestle with that. We wrestle with our will against God's will. Don't you? Have you ever been directed of God, called of God, led of God to do something, to serve somewhere, to stand up, to do? And there is the war of your flesh against what he's telling you to do. He may say, get on your face before me and worship today. And we stand there. No. Nobody knows it but, uh, but us. He may say, I want you to take, you know that young family that's out there, they're struggling. I want you to go home and take some money out of your savings account and go take care of that bill to give them some rest. But your flesh says, wait a minute. I work for that. The pride. How often, I wonder, does it rise up in us to stop the, the flow of God, the Spirit of God within us. Jesus, the first uh, major point, I'm going to give you two or three real quick here. Jesus spoke of pride showing up in critical judgment of others. Turn to Matthew 7, please, and we're going to do the first five verses. <clears throat> You'll see this pour out of you, usually in words that you say, and after a while, if you're in the presence of the Lord, you'll get convicted for it. And you say, where does that come from? Well, it comes from pride elevating itself above God. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 says this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank beam kind of sticking out of your own eye? Then Jesus said these words, you hypocrite. First take the plank of, out of your own eye, then you'll be able to clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there's some spiritual principles here, kingdom principles, and I want you to get judgment brings judgment back upon the giver. Judgment brings judgment back on us when we begin to speak judgment, judging others as lesser than ourselves. That's, that same judgment comes back. It's just a spiritual principle. Second thing, judgment measures back equally. 
With the measure you use, it's the same measure you'll receive. It's a spiritual principle. Judgment overlooks our own sinfulness, our own offense. This this, uh, pride does not let us see our own beam that's sticking out of our eye like that. Judgment magnifies the sin of others. And the last one, judgment makes us an actor only living a false story. Because that's what the word hypocrite means. It is an actor living one way and, and saying another thing. Questions I have is why do, you, why do we look at the speck in our brother's eye? It's an interesting twist on this word speck and plank in that scripture. It's the same root word. In other words, it's the same element. <clears throat> and when you begin to think about it, that the same element that we see that bothers us in somebody else, <clears throat> excuse me, the reason it may bother us is because we have a plank of it in our own life. It's the same element. If I find myself criticizing, judging, putting somebody else down, there's a good chance there's a larger dose of that in me based upon that principle. The speck is the same element as the beam that comes out of our eyes. Why do we look to see this in in other people? Jesus was saying the reason some people are so adept at finding fault in the lives of others is because they are so familiar with it themselves. Second thing, why are we not able to see that log in our own eye? Why is it we have trouble? Now, if we go to a brother or a sister or family members that know us, and we trust them and we love them and we know they love us, they know that beam that's flopping around out of our eyeball. They know it. Everybody knows it. I'm the only one that doesn't see it. You're the only one that doesn't see it in your own eyes because it's a beam sticking out of your eye. It's that level of difficulty in us. See, it's much easier to be critical than it is to be correct. It's easier. It's just easier to be critical than it is to be right. Jesus addressed that in Luke 18. Here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, you know it, a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, these people right out here, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector that's over there praying. You see, I fast twice a week, I pay all tithes that I get. But the tax collector, standing over some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. As someone as well said, Fault finders seldom find anything else. Fault finders seldom find anything else but fault. Second thing, some believers believe that not being judgmental means accepting everything. Well, let me give you to it like this. Judgmentalism has to do with you viewing yourself in a superior role to the people around you. But there is also a practical, or a a phrase that I would give it, positional truth. 
That means God, God's word tells us what's right and wrong. There is no moral grayness in God's word. He gives us the commands. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt. He gives us clear direction. This is right. This is wrong. And when we are in positional truth, that's not judgmentalism. When we're standing on God's word and this is right and this is wrong, and honestly, we have to live there for ourselves, for our children, and for a culture. We are to be salt and light. We're to be salt that keeps things fresh and alive. We're to be light in, because when darkness is coming in like a flood, like it is, we are to know what's true. We're not to be swayed by cultural influence that now says this is right. No, it isn't, because God's Word says that as a sin against God. Positional truth is not judgmentalism. It is a position to hold to truth. But judgmentalism is a different thing that we have to be careful about. The third thing, as we get ready for the supper, developing the character of Christ. How do we get to this place where we know what it means to actually look like Jesus so that someone might say, you're Christ-like. You look like Jesus to me. Have you ever said that to people? I've said it to some folks. That humble, they're just humble. Serve, love unconditionally. And many times I just say to them, man, you look like Jesus to me. What does it take to look like that? Go to Philippians chapter 2 quickly. And Paul gives us some instructions here, real, real succinct to what it means to have the character of Christ. I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, in, and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let me give those to you quickly. I see four goals of humility. Four goals. Like-minded. Like-minded. Doesn't mean we have to agree with everything going on, but we have a mindset that is like in common. Have the same love. And this kind of a love is, is beyond human, I like you or I love you. It's a, it's a godly kind of love it's a full-out commitment to one another, the brothers and sisters in the Lord. Have the same love. Be one in spirit and in mind. Be one in spirit. See, if the Spirit of God is ruling us and not the pride of us ruling us, that calls us, drives us more toward that unity place because the Spirit within us is one. And the more He's in charge of us, the more we have that unity of spirit and of mind. And then the fourth character goal of humility is do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't go after something out of a selfish ambition to promote or elevate ourselves. Then he gives us two things that are the keys to humility right there in that passage. 
Here, you want to know how to do it and do it well? Value others above yourself. Now, don't hear that wrong in that, I, that you have to feel awful about you. No. You're to feel free, set free, loved by the Lord, uh, adopted into God's kingdom, have the authority of Christ within you, the power of the Spirit within you. You're to stand high and work big and strong in the kingdom. But in the midst of that, you value others better than yourself. And the second thing is, Consider the interests of others above yourself. Paul says those are two um, of the things that would, um, the keys to humility. The big enemy each of us face in living a life that looks like Jesus is the issue of our pride. And I'll tell you, I deal with it probably more than anybody else out here. That war, that thing that wars against the spirit of God being free for me to fully serve him. It's a battle we have to fight. But, Jesus, but you know what it says when God says, uh, I hate pride. Because he knows it's our, it's our fist against his will. And humility says, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. That's what Jesus said, remember? Not my will, thine. And that's when we take the pride, which is like this, and not make it like this. So I don't know, Vicki, would you come? I want us to take just a moment to prepare our hearts. We're going to take the Supper of the Lord as the conclusion of our service today or as the highlight of our service today. Today we've looked at what pride does and what it says. It looks good to itself and it makes itself God. We've also looked at what defeats pride, valuing others. And considering their interests above your own. What would the Lord say to you today? Is the Spirit speaking to you through His Word? I have to believe that it is. Even through a, a, a weak presentation. The Word of God when it's presented. Goes out in authority. Goes out in power from the kingdom. And I don't know what it may mean for you personally. But maybe it's today the Lord says. Take that which is this against me. And surrender it. Take that which wars against my will in you because you think you deserve to take that position. Maybe it's to surrender it. Whatever you need to do. See, pride damages, do you understand? It damages each of us. It damages our relationships. I demand it my way, how I want it, and when I want it. When that occurs, my pride is just out there yelling. Instead of considering the other person more valuable than me. And their interests more important than mine. I don't know what the Spirit may be saying to you today. But I'd like to take just a moment. Let you spend some time with the Lord. I'm going to have a couple of prayer partners come here. If you want to come and pray with one another. uh, Or have us pray with you about a situation. Please do so. Let's stand and then we'll take of the supper.